At 2.58 p.m., it was July 14, 2009, Andy McQuitty officially entered the Valley of the Shadow of Death. That's when his doctor told him, Andy, you have a massive tumor that's broken through the wall of your colon. It is cancer. It is serious. Get in here now. Hi, I'm Charles Morris, and welcome to the Great Stories Podcast. Today, I'm returning to an interview I did in Texas with Pastor Andy McQuitty back in early 2015. As you just heard, the diagnosis of stage four cancer was shocking to him. It left him rocked as he began to walk through the valley of the shadow of death. But in these next few minutes, you'll hear from him how God used that cancer to take him on a journey of discovery, prayer, might I even say purpose. I know the subject of death has been weighing on people's minds more than usual over the past year, which is why I think it's important to hear from someone who's been there and can answer with sensitivity our deepest questions surrounding life's final chapter. And just before we join Pastor McQuitty, would you please click on our subscribe button so you can be reminded every time we have a new episode? And if possible, please take a moment to rate our podcast. Leave us a friendly note if you're inclined. It's a simple way for us to know that you're enjoying our work, and it also helps others discover great stories as well. Thank you so much. Welcome to Haven Today. We're not in Southern California. We are in Dallas. We're in Irving, Texas, and I'm in the pastor's study at Irving Bible Church. Uh, Reverend Dr. That sounds pretty formal. Andrew <laughs> McQuitty, welcome for the very first time to our program. Thank you, Charles. Let's just go with Andy. I want to read something that you wrote, and then I want you to comment on it, and then we'll get talking together. Along with those long nights, getting good with dying entailed completing some important practical projects. I spent days getting my life insurance in order, planning my own funeral, I have a file folder now with music, speaker, scriptures, slideshow ideas. It's going to be a lively affair. And having the remarriage talk with my dear Alice. I assume that's your wife, that Andy. That's my wife of 36 years. But the most important element for me in getting good with dying was sweating the question that kept poking me in the eye every time I tried to pray, is God really good? Mm. Tell me the backstory yeah. for those words. It's an amazing turnabout to have served the Lord as a pastor for many, many years, walked with Christ as a Christian for most of my life. I'm 59 now. I was 53 when I was diagnosed with cancer, and I became a believer of trusted Christ when I was five. Mm. To have lived my whole life basically with faith in God and living my life and doing the best I could to serve the Lord, and then to suddenly, out of the blue, just one day be sitting at my desk minding my own business to get a phone call from a doctor who said to me, Andy, you have cancer, and it's serious. Get in here now. It is almost an instantaneous transfer of, of your, your mind and even your body to a new land, a new place. I call it cancer land. I call it the valley, mm -hmm. the valley of the shadow of death. You even named your colon cancer, too. Yes. I, I'm sorry. Your <laughs> wife might not appreciate me saying that either. But but it, you called your colon cancer colon. That's right. That's right. Colon it, cancer. It, I called it colon cancer. And, you know, you have to, 
you have to come to grips with this new change very quickly because you're not given any warning about this. And so um, to suddenly get the diagnosis and realize the seriousness of it, it was stage four, mm. uh, which means that mm. the, the tumor broke it through the walls of the, uh, of the colon. It, it had uh, traveled through my lymph system all over the bo- my body, had a couple of tumors. And uh, pretty much they gave me an 8% chance of survival. Mm. And so you, you have to do some, some, some spiritual and mental and emotional gymnastics in those, in those early days to come to grips with the new reality of the situation. And, and uh, that's what I call getting good with dying. Mm. And I don't mean to be flippant when I say it that way. I don't mean that uh, you, you, you become cheerful and happy and think this is the greatest thing since mm-hmm. sliced bread, that mm-hmm. I'm going to die. By getting good with dying, I mean coming to grips with the eternal realities, renewing your faith, and resetting your sights for how we're going to do this last little bit of the journey. Mm. You know, it's interesting. You're pastoring a very large church by most church standards, a Bible church here in the greater Dallas-Fort Worth area, especially for a senior pastor or an executive of a large corporation or whatever. You don't live as if you're going to die. You don't think that way, do you? No, you don't. You think you're going to live forever. And it is not just a scourge of pastors of churches and CEOs of corporations who are always tasked with looking ahead. I I think it's kind of a scourge of our culture. Yes. The whole, uh, I'm immortal. Uh, You know, it comes out in in our, you know, our quest to eat healthy and work out and have, Mm -hmm. have a perfect body subtext so that we will live forever mm-hmm. and uh, mm-hmm. you don't ever really plan on dying and and that actually is one of the great benefits that I experienced that you know going through this valley of the shadow of death fighting cancer for two years with two major surgeries 18 months of chemotherapy most of that time thinking that my time was very limited taught me some wonderful things about how to approach death And the first important thing that it taught me is that approaching death ought to be the first thing that the living do, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. is that we don't, you know, it's kind of ironic that that people wait until they get in the valley of the shadow of death with some mortal disease like cancer Mm -hmm. before they give the first thought to it. And one of the things that that struck me whenever I came into this valley was, you know, how silly of me. To have lived 53 years of my life without really considering the end of my days mm-hmm. and how that should affect the way that I spent every minute of my remaining days. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, the fact is, when we come into the valley of the shadow of death through some mortal illness like cancer, we think that we have left the land of the living and we're entering into the land of the dying. And I think the, the, the key insight that you quickly learn when you enter the valley is no. If you're a person of faith, you believe in Christ and heaven and salvation and, and, and being part of God's forever family, you're not in the land of the living, going into the land of the dying. Death is leaving the land of the dying to the land of the living. Mm-hmm. And. That's the great hope. It is the hope that and, Christians have. And, and and it is a hope that prescribes the practical priorities 
of how we spend our time and how mm. we live our lives. Mm. And uh, I don't mind giving it away because it's really what the whole book is about. One of the surprises that I bring out at the very uh, in the afterthoughts in mm-hmm. the epilogue of mm-hmm. the book is that I have written this whole book purportedly for people who are in the valley of the shadow of death because mm-hmm. they have cancer. Mm-hmm. May or may not die, probably will, maybe not. But what I what I actually admit at the end of the book is that this is not just for cancer patients. Right. This right. is for everybody. Mm-hmm. Because there's nobody that's alive today that's going to live forever. We're all in the valley of the shadow of death, not to be morbid about it, but some of the great church fathers and people like Jonathan Edwards and others through church history have always said, in Solomon himself, you know, it is wise to go to the place of the dead. It is wise mm-hmm. to think upon our end, not so that we can be morbid and unhappy, but so that we can think, how, how best should I use the time that I have left, whether it's a month, whether it's a year, whether it's 50 years. Mm-hmm. We're all approaching death, and the best life is a life that is lived in anticipation of dying well. Mm-hmm. And our listeners can surmise right now that uh, the Lord spared you for another season. He said he wasn't quite through with you yet. But yet, what, what do you take out of that? Here you are still pastoring, senior pastor, large church, and yet I've got a hunch you don't look at your pastoring in the same way as you did before you knew you had colon cancer. Absolutely. It is a, it is a huge sea change. In my whole perspective, the perspective that I have as a pastor is absolutely different. It, I'm mm-hmm. a changed man. But the irony is that the practical things that I do as a pastor are pretty much the same. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm still responsible to, to, to lead a staff and to, and to preach sermons and to, and to get the gospel out and to, and to minister to people. But I have been told many times from, from people here at our church and even outside, that there's something very different about me since I survived cancer. And I would imagine even your preaching is not the same as it was it before. It is not. You cannot help but be changed, I think, for, for the better by having a brush with your own mortality. I, I, I think it was Winston Churchill who once said that there's not a more exhilarating feeling than to be shot at without result. Hmm. You know, because it puts you in the position of having to contemplate the fact that you're not going to live forever and you may die soon. Mm. And then when you survive that, it gives you a whole new perspective about the value of every minute of your life, mm. the, the preciousness of love, the, the depth of blessing of relationships, all things which I take for granted often, but no more. Yeah, yeah, you certainly don't. If you just joined us... You're listening to Haven Today. We're coming to you from the Dallas-Fort Worth area, North Texas, and we're with Andy McQuitty. He's the senior pastor of Irving Bible Church, and he's written a new book called Notes from the Valley, His Own Experience Through Cancer. Andy, it was 18 months for you. Not everybody listening has had cancer. 
tell us a little bit about this experience. You make it sound so easy as we're in conversation right now. Uh, but there are other listeners uh, we have who are undergoing chemo like you did right now, and absolutely. they're hanging on to what you're saying. I don't ever want to give the impression that this is an easy journey. I do want to assure people of faith that it is a blessed journey. Mm-hmm. I had a friend who came up to me after I, the very first Sunday I announced my diagnosis with cancer. I've always been open and transparent with our congregation about mm-hmm. every step of this thing. And my dear friend, his name is Matt, came up to me and he hugged my neck afterwards and he says, Andy, and he's a cancer survivor. Mm-hmm. And he said, you're in for the hardest experience of your life, mm-hmm. but also the most blessed. Mm-hmm. That's what he said to me. And I have to admit, I did a double take because I did not really buy it at that point. And I I thanked him very much for that. But as I went through those 18 months with surgery and recovering from surgery and 18 months of of chemotherapy, with all of the unpleasantness that that is involved with it, I found that what he had told me is true, Mm. that Mm. often the most blessed experiences of your life come as a result of being extruded through trial and difficulty in places, in in narrow places where you find God faithful and alive and real Hmm. that uh, is just beautiful. And so I have taken to saying to other friends when they have been diagnosed with cancer since that uh, Mm -hmm. experience in my life, the same thing that Matt told me. Mm-hmm. This is the hardest experience of your life, and and it really is. I mean, just practically speaking, um, a drug protocol or regimen mm-hmm. uh, for colon cancer, which is called Folfox, mm-hmm. and it consists of three, like radioactive mm-hmm. <laughs> drugs, that in combination form this powerful cocktail that that completely messes up your your nervous system it, it gives you neuropathy in mm. your in your extremities it, it it causes your your taste buds to be fried and you can't even taste your food one of the drugs creates a a condition where you can't touch or swallow anything cold mm. and if you do your larynx could seize up and you could actually suffocate i mean so the side effects the side effects of this are Volvox almost are as bad awful. as the cancer Itself, and you're having to undergo these these treatments, and uh, you know, uh, you know, you could even watch the drugs drip into your system and know what they're doing, which is they're trying to bring you as close to killing you with this stuff as possible without killing you, because it'll kill the cancer. What you're really doing in this new book, you wrote it as you were staring down death, and you know, you're going to die, but in a whole different way today. In that 18 months, how did Jesus move in closer to you? You've got some great stories in this book. But you personally, Andy, I know he was there. You say that in your book. Uh, There are so many ways, Charles. I think that for me, it was grappling with the very fundamental questions of life that came up when I was diagnosed that caused me to draw closer to Christ and the sense that actually he was drawing close to me. Mm. Mm. Um, and I think these questions, uh, you know, I, I think the very first question that people deal with whenever they get a disease like this 
is why. Why me? Yes, yes. And I, I don't think just because you're a Christian, you don't answer that question. Right. Uh, I think perhaps if, if you are a Christian, if you are a person of faith, you ask the question even more belligerently. Mm-hmm. Why me, God? Good grief. I'm a pastor. I've, I've given my life to <laughs> building your church, serving your people, and getting your word out, and, and preaching the gospel. And I'm, I'm being very transparent and here, but yet I'm, it I'm, is going, you, I'm going, right. God, um, come on. I mean, is there no quid pro quo here? Sure. Uh, evidently not. And I think that this, this is a healthy process to go through. And any of your listeners who, who have suddenly been plunged into this valley of the shadow of death, do not succumb to the false teaching that Christians ought not ever question God or to express their emotions fully. There is a rich tradition in Scripture called lament. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of psalms. <laughs> 73 of 150 psalms are lament psalms. Mm-hmm. Uh, you read the prophets, especially Jeremiah, the weeping prophet. You, mm-hmm. you, Jesus himself in Matthew 27, when he cries out to God, why have you forsaken me? That's an honest question. Mm-hmm. And it's asked by the Son of God, our Lord, so it can't be wrong. Right. I think that it's an important process to go through to lament, to be honest with your emotions, to ask the why me question. Because it actually gets you down to brass tacks with God. And only when you get there to that place of utter honesty can you begin to understand what God is saying to you back. Because there are answers to that Mm. question, why me? Mm. I think the biggest answer that came to me was realizing that the Lord really is, he is my father, he is my heavenly father, and I am his child. And and he is proud of me as his son, and he is using me, and he is blessing me, and that even this cancer is part of his working in my life to bring about beauty and character and glory for his glory and my good. Mm-hmm. And uh, I believe that my experience of of coming around to seeing the goodness of God in my life uh, started when I stopped asking the why me question, and I started asking, well, why not me? Mm -hmm. What should make me immune in this broken world of broken people where, where sin has broken us? What should make me immune to suffering or trial? Even even getting cancer. Disease. Disease. Yes. Uh, just because I'm a person of faith. In fact, when the Scripture says that God brings us through these experiences ultimately to do great good in our lives, mm. in us and through us. Mm. Andy McQuitty, you know, people really need hope. They need hope in the Lord. They don't just need hope in life to survive cancer. If they are going to survive cancer, it's got to be with Christ. You write about this in your book, don't you? Do you mind sharing that with us? Absolutely, Charles. I believe that to have hope in Jesus involves us not only understanding who he is and what he has done for us, but it involves us understanding that he is not responsible for the suffering and the pain of death. In fact, he, he is the one who's come to save us and to deliver us from mm. the fear of death. Mm. Uh, we have an enemy, Satan, who um, has opposed 
life for God's people, both physical and spiritual, from the very beginning. And I, I write in the book these words, cancer is just one of Satan's many tools deployed to bring death, which is the stock and trait of evil and darkness. Death is the ultimate expression of Satan's hatred towards human beings, who as creatures made in the image of God remind him constantly of God. As the imago dei, we humans are just a little lower than the angels, the psalmist tells us. We're destined to be revealed and exalted as God's children who one day will judge those very angels of whom Satan is just one. Because in all of these ways we remind Satan so much of God, he does what he can't do to God, but wishes he could. Mm -hmm. If the devil can't kill God, and even he knows he can't do that, then he'll settle for maiming and killing people both physically and spiritually. The devil's ultimate intention for the children of God is not good but evil, not life but death, not mercy but murder. Mm. So I think it's important for us to understand that when we look around all this stuff, you know, some people will say, why is God doing this to me? Mm. And it's just important for, for us to, to know the truth. And I write it this way, this poses a credibility challenge to God's people living in myopia. Myopia is what I call <laughs> yes. everywhere that's not cancer land. Yes. <laughs> is the deadly opposition of the evil one difficult for you to believe? Then hear Jesus, who characterized Satan in these words. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him in John 8. Do you hear that? The primo murderer in the history of the entire universe is the devil. He loves to kill. There was never a time when killing wasn't pure delight to the devil. And his rap sheet shows that he's murdered millions of them since the beginning of time through holocausts and abortions and disasters, and yes, cancer. Mm. This puts that comical little red-suited pitchfork-packing horn putts of comic routines in a new light, doesn't it? As long as living human beings are dying in droves, Satan, is one happy camper and that that's the bad news but charles there's good news there's good news we human inhabitants of planet earth have a vicious enemy who wants to murder us all both spiritually and physically in time and for eternity but it is this dark and disturbing bad old news of satan's murderous bloodlust that makes the good news of the gospel of jesus so mm. beautiful mm. The good news is that we have a friend who wants to give us spiritual and physical life for time and eternity. The bad news is that Satan is a murderer. The good news is that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. The bad news is that the devil kills. The good news is that Jesus saves. The bad news is that Satan wants to destroy. The good news is that Jesus died so that you can never die. Hear his words of invitation to you and me. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Hmm. So nothing is more vital in darkness than light. Nothing is more vital in death than life. And nothing makes light in life more beautiful than the occasional cancer-induced reminders that the decisive battle is in spiritual warfare was fought and won by Christ at the cross and through his resurrection. As Paul wrote, Having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. In other words, Jesus has already whipped our adversary. 
Though we have an enemy who lands the odd withering blow, we also have a Savior who has landed Satan's death blow and nullified the evil caused damage in time and eternity. It gives me great pleasure as your travel writer to remind you of these wonderful truths. Andy, tell me what Jesus means to you post-cancer, in remission cancer. What's he mean to you? What Jesus means to me after cancer, after surviving the valley of the shadow of death, is he is my, my constant friend who is with me always and who helps me to savor the deliciousness and the preciousness of every moment. I used to be driven, Charles. I used to be your typical type A, obsessive, compulsive, uh, never live in the moment, always looking at the next mountain to, to mm. conquer. Mm. But as, as I came through cancer and I learned, I learned that life can only be lived in the present moment. The past is gone. The future's not here. The only time we can truly savor life and the moments that we have is in the present. And it was in seeking his presence with me when mm -hmm. I was in the valley that I learned that you could live in the present moment and that that indeed is where we should live. Very practical results of that in my life every day. I used to be constantly distracted. It used to be that when I would even be sitting having a conversation even like speaking with you now, right? That I'd be your mind is. I'd be thinking, okay, the next what thing? What have I got next? Where sure. am I going next? Sure. And I, I, you know, it was hard for me to ever really be in the present moment. A very practical result of coming through cancer and realizing that Christ is with me mm. is that I'm able to slow down and enjoy these moments mm -hmm. and be present in them. Because he's here, I'm here, you're here. I'm not thinking about what's next. I'm mm -hmm. just enjoying this time now. Mm -hmm. That transfers not just to conversation. It transfers to enjoying a good meal. Mm -hmm. It transfers to getting on my Harley and riding in the cool fall Texas weather. My friend is with me. And I can slow down and enjoy every moment because I'm not alone. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Andy McQuitty, it's been great being with you. I think we ought to pray. You include a prayer in your new book. Could we pray that prayer? I'd love to. Okay. I'd love to. This actually, Charles, is a prayer that was sent to me by a dear friend of mine, Jenny Simmons, who's a recording artist. When I was diagnosed with cancer, she sent me this prayer. Mm. And uh, I would like to read it, but I would like all of your listeners to pray with to you. Pray. I want you to substitute your name for mm. Andy. My name is Andy. Jenny is praying for Andy. Whenever you hear Andy, substitute your name in mm. this prayer and let me pray it over you. Okay, good. Here's what Jenny says. I pray, Andy, when you are scared, God will meet you in this foreign country. I pray. I pray, friend, that when you feel lost and homesick for the life that was, you will meet God in this foreign country. I pray, Pastor, that when you feel out of your element, when you experience culture shock, you and God will adjust in the new land as good friends 
expats in an adventure. For the Savior who greets us in the midst of our fear, anger, homesick, and humble new beginnings smiles, offers us a well-worn chair and a warm but amazing Guinness and says, welcome home, child. Mm-hmm. Amen. Amen. Andy, that prayer still gets you, doesn't it? I'm still living it, Charles. You know, I, I think that's one of the, the benefits of having gone through this valley is, is that I realize that everything I learned there and indeed everything I experienced there is still a reality for me today. And I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful that whenever I step out of bed in the mornings, to, uh, even to this day, and I'm, I'm about four years out clear at this point in, in complete mm-hmm. remission. But every day I still step out of bed and I look around me and I say, thank you, God. Mm-hmm. I can't believe I'm still here for another day. Let's make it count. Mm. Andy McQuitty. Irving Bible Church, thank you for joining me here on Haven today. My pleasure, and God bless you, and God bless your your listeners, especially those who are going through the valley. Hmm. They're not alone, and there's beauty there. Hmm. Amen. Thank you for joining us for Great Stories with Charles Morris and our special guest today, Pastor Andy McQuitty. His Texas hospitality was greatly appreciated when my producer and I sat with him for a couple of hours in his office at the church several years ago. The good news is that he's still well, and he currently serves as the pastor at large at Irving Bible Church in the greater Dallas area. I'm so glad we could share this interview with you. And I hope it brings you hope. And please feel free to share it with anybody you love who's walking through their own valley of the shadow of death. When you have time, would you please visit our website and sign up for our weekly email to remind you of the podcast. And don't forget to subscribe through the service you use to listen. Links are there in the show notes. And thank you one more time for joining me today for Great Stories with Charles Morris. Charles Morris.